like we're having a moment of silence, so we should, we should attribute it to some worthy cause. And good Lord, there are many of them right now. But we're, we're going to talk about one in particular here today. I'm waiting for you to tell me something. Right? I was going to say, don't wait on me. Oh, I'm so, oh, I have no experience, so I need lots of clues. I, I have no idea what you're doing, so just start talking. I think you will. Huh? We're ready, Kat. Great. All right. All right. <laughs> Hi. Uh, good evening. My name is Kathy Trefavlin. Um, we're here tonight with our guest speaker, David Detmold, to learn more about all the work going on to change the Massachusetts flag. The history of that work, the importance of that work, the current status, and we're here to hear how Franklin can be a contributor as a town to the work. Um, I just tell you, I got interested in this because during the pandemic, I was listening to a lot of webinars, and I listened to several webinars on Massachusetts indigenous issues, and once they have your email, <laughs> you're invited to do all kinds of things. So David has invited me to work, help work in Franklin, and then I invited him here to speak. Thank you very much, Kath. Kathy, would you be so kind as to make sure everybody has a copy of this yes. in their hands? Because it's really got a pretty good diagrammatic sketch of the current symbol. Um, but I want to start off by looking at the original Massachusetts seal. But first, just let me say uh, how grateful I am that you're all here on such a beautiful uh, first day of sun, summer. Solstice. Beautiful day for a happy solstice. And I uh, spent it going door to door in Franklin, a town that I've never really, uh, I'm ashamed to say, really spent much time in. But today I met some of the uh, some of the greatest people in this town, really good people in this town, who were very open-minded and very fair-minded on this issue. And um, if if the the few dozen people that I talked to are representative of the town as a whole. Uh, then Ben Franklin and Horace Mann have a lot to be proud of in their, in their legacy here in Franklin in terms of uh, the benefits of the education, the public education that they have made available, uh, not just to this town and this commonwealth, but to the entire country. So give it up for Franklin. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm David Detmold. I uh, come from Montague, so I drove 120 miles to say hello to you tonight. And um, Montague's a little town on the Connecticut River, just south of Vermont, north of the five colleges. And I uh, was just telling some of my colleagues in the press that uh, I was the founding editor of a little weekly newspaper, which is still going strong, called the Montague Reporter. And as founding editor, I had the pleasure of selling all the ads, writing all the stories, and filling in for the paper boys when they got sick. <laughs> um, so it was a full-time job and then some. But after a little while, I noticed, I didn't notice, but I felt we built up our subscriber base sufficiently. We had, I think, 60 subscribers. And I, I felt like I had to do my editorial duty and make a comment one week about the fact that our high school our, our, our high school, which is called Turner's Falls High School, named after a man named Captain William Turner, who showed up in our area on May 19th, 1676, in the midst of the King Philip's War, uh, to lead a dawn surprise attack on a refugee village of native elders, women, and children. 
and he did not hesitate to kill all of them, including the children. Um, and so they named the village after him, where I live. They named the waterfall after him, where this massacre occurred. One of the worst massacres of native people in this country's history. And, um, and they named the high school after him. And in the high school, they had named the sports teams the Indians. And I was foolish enough as editor to make an analogy that if we were to start a sports team in the village of Auschwitz, would we call it the Hitler Jews? And a very exact analogy, I believe it is, because uh, this man really killed every Indian he could find before he died that same day uh, in a retaliatory attack as he retreated. And yet all these place names, the high school, and then the team named the Indians, it just seemed too egregious to me. So I made that statement, I lost half my subscribers, uh, but we've built the paper back up, and thank goodness it's survived my foolish editorial stance. Actually my, not so foolish, but forthright editorial stance. So that led to a series of meetings with the school committee, because really, the continued use of native sports mascots is indefensible educationally because it singles out a single group of people, native children, and we have on average two or three in our district every year, um, and stereotypes them from a very early age as brave warriors often. And to us that may seem like a, a wonderful thing to attribute to a young child, but that child may not be destined to be a brave warrior. That child may be destined to be a poet or a scientist or any number of things and should not be subjected to racial stereotypes. That's, that's the trouble with native sports mascots. So we brought that to the attention of the school committee and it was not a popular position to take. There, there were about nine of us who went on the anniversary of the massacre actually to a school committee meeting. And that led to a series of larger and larger public hearings and all the, native, uh, all the native nations in the area sent representatives to say, this does not honor us, this makes us invisible. You don't, you don't see our living culture for who we really are today if you continue to see us as uh, people who do the tomahawk chop and paint their face blue and wear chicken feathers the way the alumni would do on, on Booster Day. This is not who we are. Uh, choose your own heroes if you wish to to honor, but let us keep our own imagery uh, and choose how we use it. And so these very healthy discussions led to uh, finally the decision by the school committee, not a popular decision, difficult decision, but defensively the only position that educators can take in public schools to uh, change the mascot to what is now the Thunder, and that's a wonderful team name that all the parents support just as wholeheartedly as they used to support the Indians. But in the middle of one of those sessions, in the middle of one of those public hearings that hundreds of people would come to, um, a man stood up in the back of the room and said quite angrily, uh, if we have to give up our mascot, why shouldn't the state of Massachusetts have to give up theirs? And he was referring to the flag, and somebody got up on the auditorium stage and opened it up, and we all took a good look at it a white hand holding a sword over a native person's head. And I said to myself, the man's got a point, and um, ever since then I've been working to change it. And the method that I use, or the, the, the organizing approach that I take, with the help of any one volunteer in a community, 
is to gather the signatures necessary to bring the issue to a town meeting, an open town meeting, uh, or in the case of a, a slightly larger community like Franklin, we're attempting, we hope, to bring it to the town council. And at the town council, there will be a hearing, we hope, that all sides can attend and the matter can be discussed in full. And that is one of the beautiful things about living in Massachusetts and living in the Northeast, because you can't do that in any other part of this country, or to my knowledge, any other part of this world, get 10 signatures of registered voters and put something on the ballot, no matter on the warrants, no matter what the select board or mayor may wish. If you gather the signatures, you can do that here. So that's pretty powerful. And since, uh, since that meeting that I mentioned where you know, basically we were challenged to not stop at the school district level, but to go to the state as a whole and say, if it is inappropriate to appropriate, if it, if it is wrong in a sense to appropriate the image, the imagery of, of another ethnic or racial group without their permission or consultation, if this is an error in judgment that we should never have done, the state should never have done it either. And we have to change that. And so I, I, I worked with a few friends in the neighboring village or small town of Gill. How many people? Less than a thousand. And that was the first town meeting to actually vote on this, to my knowledge, in 2018, followed quickly by New Salem, Wendell, and Orange. Orange being a community, a community that had voted in the majority for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton just two years earlier. These are not progressive bastards. These are old mill villages in, in many cases where the mill has moved out and people are suffering hard times economically. But a lot of people have native bloodlines in every community and they remember the history and it's a horrible history to, 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 to actually face and to think about and to think about the imagery that we have you know, kept as our symbols of you might say victory over the native people, or from the native perspective, it might be oppression and violence against native people. And so let's just take a look at what this, uh, this symbol, we, we won that vote in orange, by the way. We won all those four town meetings, and since then we've won 54 uh, town meeting and city council votes out of 56, yes? Curious, when you do these events, do you make land acknowledgments? Oh, you're absolutely right, and I should have started with that. Mm. Only that I do not know uh, the tribal people to acknowledge here in Franklin. I would say the Nipmuc. What would you say? The Nipmuc, Massachusetts, Bumbanag, and Punkapuk. Could you could you help us with the land? Could you come up and help us with the land acknowledgement? I think I'll do it. Good. Yeah, but I just think it's really important if we're doing this work to center ourselves in the appropriate space. Thank you, and you're absolutely right. So I'd like to backtrack, and as I should have begun, uh, I'd like to say we all acknowledge in this moment uh, that we're on the land, the unceded land of the Nipmuc, of the Wampanoag, of the Massachusetts tribe of Ponkapog. Any others in this particular geographic area? Let's mention those three who are still tribal nations that are living with us here today. And this is their land that we are on, never ceded. 
We're also here, if I could interject, on the land of battle and of uh, murder during uh, King Philip's War. Anybody, if I'm going too fast or if I'm missing something essential and important like that, please raise your hand and interrupt me. Um, but let me start off now uh, by taking a look at the original Massachusetts seal. This is the seal of the Massachusetts Bay Company, a commercial enterprise put together by uh, fairly well-to-do people, the Puritan faith in England, who had been following the adventures of the pilgrims who had come over uh, roughly nine years earlier in 1620. And in 1629, the year before the Puritan fleet sailed with 3,000 colonial settlers, theirs, theirs was a settler enterprise, and they were here for land and for the resources the land could bring. And when we, we hear that they were here for religious freedom, there's some truth to that, but you couldn't tell that to Anne Hutchinson and others. They, they were very strict about the religious freedom that, that they wished to uh, bring to this colony, this colonial enterprise and no deviations were permitted. Um, and they were here to make money for their shareholders. It was a commercial enterprise, and this was their commercial seal, and it features their vision of what a native person might look like, what they might wear. They might wear a loincloth made of leaves, although nobody ever wore such a costume. And they might be carrying one downward pointed arrow and wearing no quiver, not armed for battle, but in a sense demonstrating that they are peaceful or they have been pacified, depending on whose point of view you might be looking at it. And today, this is still the central feature of our state seal and flag. You still see one downward arrow and no quiver, um, and a native person as the central figure, divorced from his social milieu, no people around him. Uh, in the original, he is saying, in a speech bubble coming out of his mouth, come over and help us. Um, and so I think that is very obviously a symbol of white supremacy from the get-go. The native people are begging the Europeans to come over and help us. Uh, was this a reference to the supposed proselytizing motive of the Puritans, that they were here to bring Christianity to the heathen. It took them almost 20 years before any single missionary attempt was made. Uh, they were here to settle and to claim the land. Come over and help yourself to our land might have been a better translation. But in any case, it no longer says that. Um, can we move along to the next slide? It's gone through several changes. Thank you, Kathy. Um, during the Revolutionary War, for a brief period, we used a Paul Revere seal. Paul Revere designed and engraved this uh, of an Anglo-Saxon man with a sword in one hand and the Magna Carta in the other. Uh, yes, we can go on, I guess. So that only lasted five years. And in 1780, after the war was won, with the help of Native allies, by the way. That's a whole other story. There's a question. Yes. Um, that uh, Paul Revere uh, seal. Yep. Let's that, go back to that. That is 
uh, from what I understand, the Magna Carta in his hand. That's and, right. Yeah, and that's the first use of the state motto on a Massachusetts official state symbol. Right. And that comes from an English Republican who was put to death yep. for that. And it's a little misleading on here because it puts half the quote, but says, yep. by the sword we seek peace, but peace only under liberty. So I think that's a little misleading. And that's only half the quote, too, as you know, since you've researched Algernon Sidney's uh, mm -hmm. proverbs that they take it from. So even Massachusetts, when they chose to use it as part of their seal, had abbreviated it. Right. And I abbreviated it in my piece of literature, which admittedly is propaganda, to emphasize the point. Sure. That I just want to be clear that, yeah. that, that that is, you know, yeah. that. Uh, you know, in, in the context of the American Revolution, that is not, you know, negative or, or racist. It, it was a an attempt to push Republican government, which is what they were fighting for, because of what the Crown had done to them, which is why they chose Sidney's quote. That's very well explained. Um, and in fact, better than I could have put it if I had tried. Uh, do you know the second half of that quote that they omitted? Yeah, but, uh, peace. First, I have to say it all at once. But so we see peace, peace only under liberty. And then they left off the rest of his proverb, which was something like, uh, and I don't quote me on this, but something like, by the hand of a tyrant. There's the word tyrant in there as well. well yeah. they, le they left that off. Um, well, I'm sure it's in reference to yeah. considering what he fought yeah. for. I would imagine, yeah. I don't have it in front of me, but I would imagine it's in reference to the king being a tyrant, which I think, you know. Yeah, there was a civil war at that time, and he wound up on the losing yeah. end and lost his head in, yeah. in, in the struggle. While being uh, the so of the natives. So we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but you're right, I did abbreviate it. They abbreviated it, I abbreviated it further. And I've seen the translation in many different ways, because I don't read Latin, but sometimes it is as succinct as that, by the sword we seek peace. Other times, I think more commonly or more accurately, it's she seeks a quiet peace under the sword. And many people continue to say that the way it appears today is still a reference to our struggle against England because here's where it first appeared. Um, I or think. designed that himself. Yes. And I think the fact that, uh, well, we're, we're going to look at how it looks today, and I would make the argument that, um, I will make that argument when we get to it. But thank you. Um, yeah, let's move along. So here's the way it looked directly after the Revolutionary War. Uh, it had reverted back to the use of a central figure of a native person. Uh, and now the sword is very prominent above the native person's head, visually. Uh, can I, people can I comment on that? Yes, please. Okay, that, that is separate. There's a reason it's separate from the seal. Okay. It, you know, flags are based on symbolism, and there's a reason they separated that. Yeah. That arm with the sword in it is from the Bedford flag, which was flown in Lexington and conquered by the Minutemen from Bedford. You can go see it at, Lex at uh, Bedford Public Library. Okay. Okay, so that it's not swooping down to cut the natives, you know, or do. It's, it's a separate symbol, just like the star in the corner is a symbol of unity. The phrase has its place. I mean, I just want to be clear about what we're changing here, you know. Yep. 
uh, the, the, that flag, it, that is the oldest American flag on the continent, the Bedford flag. Yep. Yep. That's why it was chosen to be incorporated. Yep. Well, and that's, I, I that's should, a very common theme I'd like to, in English flags in general. You see that more than once. Yep. It's called a sigil. Yes. The fact that it's up above the rest of the seal. And we are getting into some deep details here, and you are uh, keeping me very honest, so yeah, thank you. important <laughs> details when you want to change a, you know, 200 yep. something year So old. we're changing everything about it, you're right. Not just one aspect of it. In fact, there's a special commission that has been set up by the governor, as I'm sure you know, and established by yes. an act of the legislature last January. Yeah. Uh, to recommend changes, and they finally just decided they're going to seek a total redesign, not just removing the sword or something like that. Okay, good. I'm glad that you are here to keep me honest. I've got some facts here. Yeah. 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 Um, it says, and thank you, because I'm glad I looked it up. Um, it says, uh, the literal <coughs> translation is, she seeks with the sword a quiet peace under liberty. The she in question refers to the word manus, from the full phrase, manus haec imica tyrannis esse petit palacidium sub, etc., which means uh, this hand, an enemy to tyrants, there you go. seeks with the sword a quiet peace under liberty. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, and then, you know, in the context of the American Revolution, they're talking about the king of England. So your position. Paul Revere put it on the seat. Okay. And they kept certain aspects, and then they reverted to other aspects of the original Massachusetts seal. You'd agree with me on that? Yeah. Yep. And visually, the placement, from a native person's perspective, does not seem to them as accidental. This is what I hear, is that, uh, for example, let's keep moving through this iterations. Here's another example, and they began to vary de depending on which department of the state uh, bureaucracy was using the seal. They would interpret it as they wished because it hadn't been codified into law, that it had to be exactly these relationships and proportions and colors and details. Um, and in 1890, Secretary of State William Olin at the time wanted that diverse approach several different ways that the seal had been interpreted since 1780, uh, when we again saw the native figure in the center with one downward arrow and no quiver. So he wanted it to be codified and it was just gonna stay this way. And it has stayed this way ever since 1898. Let's see what it looks like today. No, Whoops, I don't know what we don't have the, we don't have the actual image, but you've got it on the papers that you all have. You want the image as it is now? Yeah. I can get to it. Current imagery. But everybody's got it, you know, right in front of them on the leaflet. If you can't find it easily. We'll take just a second to see if we can retrieve it so we're all looking at it. Yeah, there we go. Bring it up. So it's looked exactly like this since uh, 1898. Um, the illustrator uh, chosen to, uh, to do this detailed work was a man named Edmund Garrett, a well-known illustrator at the time. He consulted with uh, prominent white anthropologists about 
exactly what the features of the native person should look like. Uh, and he detailed his work in an article that he published in the New England Magazine, uh, major, uh, General Circulation Quarterly, in, eight, in 1900. Um, and that story that he wrote about his work, uh, I think, is pretty much a first-hand account and an accurate account of how it was put together the way it appears today. And he said, uh, for example, that he went back to armorers who knew the history of the use of the broadsword in England and France, experts in their field, to ask them, should the thumb be extended on the hilt? And the French expert said, yes, because we thrust with the sword in battle. And the English expert wrote back and said, no, it should be gripping the hilt in the fashion that you see it now, because we chop with the sword in battle. So he made sure that he had the thumb placed just so. Um, Secretary of State William Olin and Edmund Garrett agreed, according to his story in the New England Magazine, to model the sword after the sword of Miles Standish that is kept in the Pilgrim Hall in Plymouth. Um, and so it says in his own first-person account that this is Miles Standish's sword. That is the model for it. And we could go into a little bit about the history of Miles Standish, who was the military commander of the Pilgrims. And two years after the Pilgrims were welcomed uh, by Massasoit people, a treaty was struck, a treaty of peace, their first winter of starvation when 50% of the Pilgrims, I think the mortality rate was that high. But the fact that some made it through that first terrible winter, I think, owed a lot to the peace of uh, Massasoit and the Wampanoags, which the Wampanoags say to this day that they have kept their side of that treaty. But two years later, Miles Standish uh, invited leaders of the Massachusetts tribe at Ponkapog, and it wasn't just at Ponkapog in those days. The Massachusetts tribe had many different villages, but uh, in Wessagusset, uh, he sat down in a small hut or hovel with three of them, and asked to see one of their swords, or knives, or whatever it was, and turned it on his guests, who he'd invited for a parlay, and killed them. And with whichever sword he used, he cut off one of their heads and put it on a pike in Plymouth, where it rotted for many years. And so Decades. when native people know that this is Miles Stanish's sword, according to the illustrator, they see it in a different relationship. Um, than the struggle against the English. By, by your account and by many accounts, that is what that sword symbolizes. But put yourself in a different pair of shoes um, and think about what a native person sees when they know that history. And they do know that history. Um, I so understand I that, but yes, go ahead. Thing. I understand that, you know, but Miles Standish also went to war with allies yeah. such as Squanto and to defend their villages, who they were allied with. I mean, let's, you know, it, it wasn't like a, you know, there were there were wars and conflict here before Miles Sandish came. I mean. Squanto. Squanto had been kidnapped uh, quite a bit earlier right. and brought to England, made it all the way to Morocco and found a way to get a voyage back yeah. to this country. An amazing story. Right. 
Um, but yes, there were always alliances and yeah. changing alliances. Yeah. So nobody, nobody disputes that yeah, this, there was violence. This was at a time when there had been up to 90% mortality rates. We think we're suffering through a bad viral pandemic right now. But the germs that were brought over or the viruses that came with the, with the early ship captains who were here for the fish, really, uh, had left such a pile of bones on the beach that there were no longer uh, people living to bury them. Um, so when Massasoit sees uh, a new people coming to his shores, Massasoit the Sachem, his name was Usamequin, um, the great Sachem, that's what Massasoit means. Um, the fact that he makes an alliance with them at that time may be because his people had been so terribly decimated by viral plague. Um, these were difficult times and people had to make strategic alliances, but Again, I would say that Miles Standish's sword means something in particular to Native people in this Commonwealth today. Um, I'll just say quickly, and I know we're going to run out of time if I go into much detail, and I want to leave at least 20 minutes for question and answer, so please. Um, the, they base the bodily proportions on a skeleton of a Native person that was unearthed in Winthrop, according to Edmund Garrett's account. They used the bow that was taken from a native person whose name is lost to history, who was shot and killed in Sudbury in 1635 by a settler named William Goodnow, according to Edmund Garrett. And they used uh, the facial features from a photograph from the Bureau of Ethnography of a Chippewa chief named Little Thomas, Thomas Littleshell, who was living in Montana when that photo was taken. Uh, and had never been to Massachusetts to anyone's knowledge, but was considered, quote, an ideal specimen of an Indian. Um, from a native perspective, and this belt is meant to be uh, the red flannel belt that King Philip, or Metacomet, the second son of Massasoit, uh, Usamequin's second son, wore. Uh, and that he, they think they have his belt in the Peabody Museum, and that, that is that belt. And again, Metacomet lost his head uh, after he was shot and killed in Mount Hope. Uh, his body was drawn and quartered. His, one of his hands was sent to the King of England, and his head rotted in, 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 on a stake in uh, Patuxet or Plymouth. So again, try to put yourself in the shoes of the people who had been here before, who had welcomed us, and who had been, in a sense, dispossessed of their lands, and in a way, conquered by us. Uh, they look at this symbol very differently, this seal. And for many years, I'll just say this is straight out true, uh, Native leaders have been protesting this and asking for it to be changed. Under the Dukakis administration, the first commission, Massachusetts Commission on Indian Affairs was established. And from that point forward, Native uh, officials and leaders have been asking Massachusetts to seriously take a look at this from a Native point of view or from many people's points of view, because there are very many people who agree that, that this is a symbol of past violence, past warfare. Um, and very few state flags feature drawn weapons. Um, and this is a, something we could certainly hold on to for many more centuries, but an opportunity has arisen uh, where finally native voices are being heard on this issue and on many other issues. Um, they're no longer an, an invisible 
people. They are a people who have risen up at Standing Rock and in many other places to say, it's time for you to listen to us now uh, because the world is in danger uh, of the mentality uh, that says the planet is ours to uh, exploit, pollute, and destroy for our children's children. And this is not the native way of things. Um, I'm generalizing wildly, but uh, I would say that this is a good time to establish better relationships with the native people of this commonwealth and of the entire country, and to uh, sit down at the table with them as we are doing now with the special commission, where uh, the leaders of the, the Mashpee Wampanoag tribal chairman, the Akina Wampanoag tribal chairwoman, the Herringpon Wampanoag tri tribal chairwoman, and leaders of the Massachusetts tribe of Ponkapog and the Nipmuc are all sitting down with state legislators, the Secretary of State's designee, the Mass Historical Commission, uh, the general who is the military historian for the Massachusetts National, National Guard is on that um, special commission. And there is a healthy dialogue going on, including just today at 11 o'clock, they had a meeting to talk about a new flag and seal that is aspirational that represents our hopes for the future and of peaceful relations between all the people who live in the Commonwealth today. Uh, and this is what the legislature has charged them with doing, and they are about that business right now. And uh, we hope that this will be a topic that will be of a, enough interest in Franklin that we can bring it to the town council and win a vote there of support for the work of the special commission and for a new flag and a new symbol for the commonwealth. I just want to close by saying, and let's talk now, uh, question and answers and just comments that you may have, because uh, you've heard my point of view, and I'd like to hear yours. And so would the media and so would the cable TV station, um, so that the dialogue can be you know, broad in Franklin. Um, but I would just say that as, as part of the core curriculum, state symbols are taught at the third grade level, social studies class, and they are supposed to be taught in every public school in the Commonwealth. And we may say that this symbol, this part of the sigil means such and such, but from a third, and it does, inarguably have that relationship to the Paul Revere seal. But from a third grader's perspective, and from the teacher who has to teach this, what does that child learn? What does that child see? And I, I think that is a very good question for us to ask, because we're trying to think of the future here. The changes that we're making, we're making slowly. It took 36 years. The legislature stalled this bill for 36 years that Byron Rushing, a great uh, civil rights icon from Boston who rose to be the majority whip of the legislature, brought this to his white majority colleagues for 17 consecutive legislative sessions and it died in committee for 17 sessions in a row. The legislature is good at stalling on things. But this is a symbol that needs to change, I would say. Uh, and I think it will. And I think Franklin can have a major role to play in that. Uh, because as, as your state representatives will hear the voice of the town council of Franklin, they'll take that to the legislature as a whole. And that includes the Senate president. And, um, and that would be very powerful if Franklin were to do that. So I'll leave you with that last comment of mine and happy to hear yours. Yes? Um, a couple of thoughts. I really liked 
the information you brought to us. I think it's very enlightening. Some of it I suspected or knew. But I guess I wonder, as someone who's historically minded and personally somewhat conservative, where, where, do, you, where do, you, do you ever draw the line? Because I worry that if you sanitize and dumb down things too much, you devalue the history and take away its meaning and the struggle and pain that's embedded in that symbol. And then there are, there are so many other examples. The one that sticks out to me, because I'm partly of Irish heritage, Cromwell, Connecticut. I actually met someone once with the first name Cromwell. Yeah. That's like naming someone Hitler to, to some Irish people. So I understand. And there are many other things like that. You know, if you want to extend it, lots of Celtics. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm not. I'm, I'm ain't again it. But I ask, kind of rhetorically, is there a way to keep elements of the historic piece, this image, sure. and yet? enlighten people through some kind of change. It was rather than just throwing out the, the old entirely and starting with something that may be revised in mm. horror by people a century hence who say, what were they thinking? Mm. Could we do something evolutionary that honors and respects a few hundred years of Massachusetts history and, and clarifies for people the, the conquest? It was about a conquest, really. Um, Mm. Whose history? What that means now is a good question. Yeah. Whose history? All of our history. Everybody's history. It belongs to all of us. Um, but it's still history. Does it? It's facts. And the facts are arguable, but they usually, we try to believe, we try to research them, make them facts. We can say, yes, that happened. So do yes. you see genocide in that? Yeah, I do. And or I know enough to know there's genocide in that. You know, I'm a family on my mother's side, and I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I think the English and that's had a, separate question, a lot of practice before they came over here sure. in just brutal suppression of the native people and, of Ireland. And pretty much that's every, my feeling. Almost every country yeah. has had some has been in that role at yeah. one time or another for yeah. people or races. So. That's my feeling. Yeah. Um, we we tend to look back and not blanch when we see the term savage thrown around about native people, sure. but. The warfare that we brought to this country was of the most savage variety. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure the thrust of your question about whitewashing, I mean, the history. Uh, it, it's not my intent to mince words or, or, or to not speak the truth as I, as I feel it. And I'm sure everybody would agree that it wasn't pejorative. I just, I'm, I'm just asking rhetorically, when we change things, are we erasing elements of, of a shared history? and putting in something that's just kind of abdomen. Okay, now I get your question a little bit. I get your question a yeah. little better. I think what I was trying to do for a while is say this symbol has changed over the years. It's not a static symbol. Um, yes, it has been the same since 1898, but it has changed many times before that, and it could change again in the future. It could change again in two years or 10. Um, it's not a sacred emblem in my mind, and I don't think in the legislature's mind either, or they wouldn't have set up this commission to look at. In fact, the commission is charged with recommending changes to this to better reflect the values of peace, justice, and uh, equality, and the benefits, the benefits of spreading public education. I think that little clause right there should be brought to the town council in Franklin, because in terms of spreading the benefits of public education, You've got the history right here. Um, I've got a question uh, about where this currently is right now. Okay. I'm a little bit confused because I've heard that this has already been yeah. voted on and approved that change is coming. It's so we would like that, that to be true. 
But okay. the, yeah. the, when NPR ran, ran that story and the statewide media ran that story, I'm not sure we've answered your question. And I want to get back to it. But to answer yours, um, the special commission, it took them 16 months to vote to do what they had been charged to do, which is to come up with a redesign that better reflects the values of the Commonwealth of peace, justice, equality, uh, and spreading the benefits of education. Um, so when they finally took that unanimous vote to seek a total redesign of the flag and seal, that made statewide news. And I, to me, it was like, wow, it took them 16 months to even get that straight, that this is what they've been asked to do and this is what they are going to do. But um, they're a body to make a recommendation. They have no power to change anything. The fact that they've agreed to make the recommendation and that they've missed their first deadline and they're going to miss their second and they're going to maybe try to do it by March of next year. When that vote was taken, Jim Peters, who's the current commissioner on Indian Affairs, this effort legislatively started under his father, who passed away long before it ever got out of committee, Slow John Slow Turtle Peters. Um, but Jim Peters said, and this didn't get picked up by the media quite as much, I hope it doesn't take the legislature 35 or 40 more years to act on our recommendations. And in fact, the, the legislature could say, no, the public does not support this and therefore we're not going to do it. And again, the need for, I, in my mind, the need for public support in the terms of formal public support that you bring when a city or a town council says, we've thought about this, we've heard pros and we've heard cons. Uh, and we agree that a better symbol could be created that would be more aspirational about what we were really hoping for for the future of our commonwealth. Uh, so that's where the, the situation is right now. They're pushing for a deadline in March to make that recommendation. They have one other charge, which is to have a public education campaign about the history and meaning of the seal. And I've followed all those meetings and they're talking about doing a listening tour and coming to various parts of the state to hear what people have to say about that history. Um, you're never going to erase this image from, this, from the plate glass uh, dome of the Capitol where the sword looms over the native person's head right in the rotunda there, the stained glass. I shouldn't say plate glass. You're never going to take it off the brass bridge abutments on every bridge in the Commonwealth that has been built in the last many, many decades, right? This is going to be a part of history, just like the Paul Revere, just like the original Massachusetts company. You're going to see a story being told as it changes over time. It's not going to be erased. And the fact that Native people are finally, after 400 years of their images being used as our symbol, you know, in a state that is named after one of their tribal nations that no longer has a single acre of land to their name, Massachusetts tribe at Ponkapog. Um, the fact that we're finally consulting with them, I think that is a very healthy thing. And I don't think that it's going to result in the erasure of native identity in this state, in this commonwealth. I think you're going to see a symbol that is going to be a consensus that includes the six native leaders and their nations who are behind them. And I think that's a really good thing if that does happen. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, I'm just speculating, I guess. I don't okay. Specific You're asking a hard question. It, it often boils down to you're trying to change our history. I hear that a lot at town meetings. We're trying to change white history. Let's and keep it real. My re rebuttal is always, uh, unfortunately, we cannot change our history. 
our history, as violent as it is, is our history. We can change our future relations, and that's what we're ho hoping to do. Two yes. Um, and the thing on the symbolism of the flag, the um, you know a lot of those points up there, like the the belt and stuff like that, um, you know, those were incorporated to make it more historically accurate, mm -hmm. um, but they were not part of the original no original crest, which you know, as you said earlier, like you, you feel like it's not a, a sacred symbol. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously that's a strong term, but. But it is important. I mean, one of the first things Massachusetts did when it got the power to coin its own money was put that symbol on its penny. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that was in 17, you know, under the Articles of Confederation. So mm -hmm. obviously it does hold weight and staying power. And, and mm -hmm. you know, if there was, that was pre, you know, sword over the head thing, which, like I said, I don't believe that has anything to do with It's a separate symbol, but. Okay. Um, I agree that the seal has historic value to the Commonwealth. It shouldn't be cast aside lightly. Uh, the deliberation has been long, decades now, uh, and we're doing our best to bring it to the very grassroots level that you know we're afforded here with the ability to to bring these resolutions forward at town meetings so that everybody can you know some of these towns have voted it down for some of the reasons you're saying. I mean, when the colonies were first formed, uh, they needed a seal to stamp uh, a writ to make sure that it was not a forgery, you know, because other people could say, look, you owe me this money, not that person, and here's the official seal. And when you stamp it on a coin, same deal. It's, this is a real coin of the Commonwealth, the colony. Those historical values will remain, but seals continue to be used on official documents, and yet their purpose has changed over time. They're a little more ceremonial now, a little less practical. Um, I would say that the flag, which is flown everywhere, and it, you're mandated to fly it in every public building. I'm sure it's in this library. It's in every town hall. It's in every courtroom. It's in every school auditorium. Um, it's in front of every state police barracks. It's on the side of every state patrol car. It's on every official document from the state. Massachusetts uses this flag and seal more than most states do. It's really ubiquitous. Entering Franklin on the highway, there will be the sword over the native person's head. I'm sorry, that's how I look at that relationship. Uh, maybe but that wasn't its original intent, but I know, visually. You can, you can say that about visually. Anything. I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, but like visually. That, that wasn't the intent when they did it. So you can't like, you know, anybody can look at anything and say, well, I interpret that as, you know, okay. a threat to me or, you know, and it, well, yeah, no, it is. I mean, how do you know? You it's subjective. No. I'm sorry. You I wasn't aware. You weren't there when they were creating. Well, he's making the point. And he's got, he's got every right to make the point. But it's not. The, the meaning of it is not what it's being portrayed as. Yeah, but we've reached argumentum absurdum, which means that... I know what it means. Okay, so I, okay. I'd say that that's argumentum absurdum. Yeah, right, but I can show you a picture of the flag where that comes from. Do you want to see it? We've already seen it's still argumentum absurdum. But I, I, I welcome okay, so the dialogue, and I, let's, let's not be antagonistic about the dialogue. I mean, no, it is no. true that there it was in the Paul Revere seal, and people continue to say this means our struggle from Britain, England, I'm sorry, 
and I keep saying, because I hear it, that from a child's perspective, from a child's teacher's perspective, from a native perspective, this is not the visual, the visual representation does not mean a struggle against England to them that's anymore. That's what school is for. I'm sorry? That's what school is for. It's hard when you're at a third grade level. Wow. Maybe not, maybe not. You know, that, that, that motto was put on Revere's yeah. uh, seal in 1775. Think of the context. Okay, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Are you happy with this and would you like to keep it? Or do you see any room for improvement or change? I, I room for no. I would keep it. Okay. Well, I'm really glad you came tonight. Uh, if that's your perspective, because uh, because it's that kind of dialogue that is needed right now. You know, people. I, mean, I can understand if if you wanted to change, yeah. you know, certain aspects of what was added later to make it m more yeah. historically accurate, representative of, a, yeah. of a, what a native would have looked like. I can understand that. I mean, if you wanted to change the bow and make it historically inaccurate. I just want to say that I'm not, I'm going to quote Brittany Wally of the Nipmuc who, you know, this is their land, as we just remembered, um, who's on the special commission and she said, when the Secretary of State designee Michael Como, who's the executive director of the State Archives, brought that same point up repeatedly, uh, that this was an attempt to be historically accurate to what Native people might have looked like. Brittany said, can you imagine if the roles were reversed and we were trying to find out exactly what white people looked like, you know, today even, you know, historically you know, or today? A what what did like, a white person look like? <laughs> and how but, can you be accurate? But it, okay, but in the same thing, the context, back to the context, like, it, it, you uh -huh. know, you put yourself in, in, in a colonist's shoes of 1775, they were struggling in, against the same people that the Indians had struggled against before that, the English. Okay, so uh, there's a common enemy there. I, I don't think, you know, you have to look at it from, you know, the, the, the colonists that fought in the American Revolution were the biggest army that's ever been raised to, to put down the colonists. I mean, George Washington was an anti-colonial, yes, so did he have flaws? Absolutely. But the American Revolution was an anti-colonial movement. This has nothing to do with the American that's okay. Revolution. The, to the American that, that saying, what are you talking about? The, the, I just explained multiple times. This is Those, Miles Standish. Yeah. The, the sword, no, that's modeled after his sword. The army with, the, with a sword comes from the Bedford flag and, and other flags before it and was part of a tradition that they use that. That does it, it's not limited to Miles Standish. I yes. think what we've I think part of what we've discussed tonight though is more about what imagery is and mm. what imagery's intention is and how imagery mm. influences our young people and influences mm -hmm. everyone who is forced to sign a document with that seal on it. I, I just and don't find a uh, Native American standing with a bow offensive. I don't I don't see that. I get what you're Do saying. Do you see that I, people who are Native American find it to be very offensive and want it changed I've and therefore met, that alone is I, I personally have never met a Native American who thinks that's abhorrent. My hmm. name is Joni McGee and it's nice to meet you. This is something I've been working on mm -hmm. since 1988. Mm -hmm. And I do Wonderful. seriously appreciate hearing your opinion, truthfully. And I, I love history too, so I like And we are just about at the end but of the program. I, I mean, you, you know, I just don't get the same thing. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I can't say that I, you know, I don't see that when I look at it. 
because I know the historical background, and, and, I, and I'm sorry I don't agree with you, but you know, I, I, I don't do it to hurt people, like rub it in their face, like oh, I don't want to do, you know, here's the flag and we're not changing it. I mean, I just, I know the symbolism behind it and I don't find any of it offensive. Okay. I've, I've lived on an Indian reservation, I lived on uh, Pine Ridge in South Dakota, and I know how a lot of the Indian people, which is what they call them, um, perceive or object to the way they are treated or, or viewed by white people. And I would agree with very, that. I think the reservations are a, a disgrace, but... I'm you know, talking about but how I, they I don't are think, viewed, though, right, but they are viewed by white people. Right, and I get that, but and there, there's no doubt that there was atrocities up and down both these con continents. Right. But that doesn't mean that that symbol is, is a symbol of that particular point in history. And when these, the, the, the pilgrims, generally speaking, had a pretty decent relationship when they first came over here. It, they, they, they didn't, you know, it, it, it seems like a pretty simple fix to me. You know, as an Irish person, if, if they just portrayed me as a drunk, you know, I wouldn't like it. You know, they do. Kind of like the subjects. You know, or the other way. It's like, the, you know, the fighting Irish. It's like, well, does anyone, does everyone go get drunk and get in a fist fight every night? Right. No, you know. No, but it does bother me to walk right past it. You know, I like the Celtics. If it was like, a, a black man with a noose over its head, that's what Byron Russian always said. That's, that's, that's not. It that's wouldn't not, last a decade. What if it was Celtics. a black man working hard at a trade or something? It, because that's not. It's not a. That's not a negative connotation. It's. It's not. That's not a, a. It's an accurate representation of a fine specimen of an Indian, as the illustrator said, right? People use fine specimens to describe all kinds of people. Like that, that's what the illustrator said: a fine specimen of an Indian. And the person drawing it is not native. You say, "I know all the history." Do you know the natives' history too, from their point of view, of what this sword means to them? You know, I mean. There's many different histories in this commonwealth. I know, but that's subjective. That's, a, that's an interpretation. Well, when you say you know the history, you're almost saying globally that you know all the history. No, I know the history of the people of Massachusetts, and I know why that, that, that sword and arm is, is on there and where it okay. came from. All right. I, you know, we're going to have to stop. We are, unfortunately, because uh, I, I think it's productive. But people who have not been heard, there's two minutes left. The thing that I feel it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter what you think or anybody in this room think, it matters what the Indian, the tribe thinks about what's happening. And they've been against it and I'd like to know all their reasons and I'm sure they got wonderful reasons for it, but they're not happy. Mm -hmm. And so if they're not happy, I think we should listen. I just want to say, after all this, I'm sitting here thinking, why is there even a person on the flag? You know, um, there's a society, I can't pronounce it. Vexillology. Um, and it's a society to study flags. Like, who would think that? And they have assessed or uh, rated all the state flags, the provincial flags, some several international flags. They're strictly design-based, okay? So they, they don't care about the meaning or the implications. But having looked at that site and looked at all 50 state flags and a few other things, very few flags have people on them, very few. And Minnesota is the only other state that has a native on it, and that's a big controversy right now. And 
So I'm like, why is there even a person on the flag? It's just not, it's not even good flag design. Sorry, <laughs> Massachusetts, sorry people who did it, but that's from the, that's quoting the organization who is into design. So, and, and the point of a flag, according to them, is to be recognizable. For, for children, go, yeah, 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 that's it. Okay, so design-wise, I'm gonna say now I get it, it's not even a good design. And I'm also saying, of all the people that lived in this commonwealth, why a native? So maybe that's a good question and that's a good comment to end uh, tonight. Thank you for the healthy discussion. Thank you for reminding me, and I hope I never forget again, to acknowledge that we are on the land of the native people who are still living here among us. And I agree, listening to their point of view, uh, might be a healthy start for better relations. Thank you, and stick around and talk for a few minutes afterwards, but we gotta pack up because the librarian's gonna Yeah, two bands of the librarians. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008 and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.